0: I can see it, next aid station! That's enough of that. Yaki da, Gumri, Gumri. You reading that paper you're sitting on? You look like a bag of spuds tied up a tidy. Flongfred English translation, Dragon Slayer. Don't worry, there's a guy entered in the Dragon's Back race, known as Lee Runs Ultras on Instagram. It was in the Welsh Guards and he's going to beat the crap out of me with the ears, that intro. <laughs> Apologies to any Welsh listeners and speakers. Welcome to episode three of Aid Station. My name is Kev, your host. If you've listened to the previous two episodes, many thanks. I hope you're finding value and entertainment in them. And I guess that's why you're back. This episode is a departure from the usual format, as it is the first of a number of Dragonback race specials that will hopefully run through to the end of September 2021. By the way, I will refer to the Dragon's race as is ultra tradition for a lot of races by its initial letters, D-B-R. This happens with a lot of races like UTMB, Ultra Trader Bon Blanc, MDS, Marathon de Saab, and M-I-U-T, Madeira Island Ultra Trail. See what I mean? I'm sorry if you're new to ultra running and many of the abbreviations are a mystery to you, I will try not to use them too often early on and try to explain any quirky jargon as I go along. I also promise an episode in the near future dedicated to ultra jargon, so that you can sound as cool as you look in your trucker's hat. Sorry, it seems to be that to be cool in mountain ultra runner, you have to wear a peak cap like a 1970s American truck driver. No one but me seems to have the nerve to tell them they look stupid but I'm old enough to remember the 1970s. I digress. On with the show. This is the first of a number of shows that will explain my 2021 A race, chart my journey up to it and hopefully all the way to the finish line in Cardiff Castle on Saturday, September the 11th. The aim of the DBR special episodes is to provide you with all sorts of relevant ultra information covering training topics such as logistics, kit, nutrition, navigation, route wreckies and the actual race itself. Let's start with some background. Way, way, way background. In 1992, I was 35 years old and competing in a few races in the new sport to the UK of triathlon. So I was taking an interest in feats of endurance in sport when news appeared of this mad event in the Welsh mountains, which was won by a woman, or that's how it seemed to be reported anyway. In triathlon back then, there was a term called being chicked. In the macho world of tri, at that time, it meant being overtaken or beaten by a woman. This happened quite a lot to me and it was when the endurance sport world started to wake up to the fact that the longer and harder a race was, the better women were at it and the more that they were closing the gap on male performances especially in race situation and the woman winner was Helen Diamantides who in a partnership with Chris Stone won the event Helen was at least an equal partner in this pairing and often drove the pace and the navigation In 2015, I ran my first ultra 12-hour race on a flat 5-mile off-road circuit. I was consuming all the literature I could find on ultra-running when I read Feet in the Clouds, Richard Asquith's brilliant book on fail-running. I knew all the names in the book as I had heard of these hard-as-nail northern sheep farmers in my youth, even though I was only a soft southerner. But there was one story that stood out for me, and it was a story of the first Dragon's Back race. I read the details of how tough this race is and thought no way could I do that. I could put up with a discomfort and maybe lack of sleep but I couldn't imagine running over that terrain for five days in a row. Plus the fact I would just get lost. So I get a few more years ultra running and races in the locker and after each increase in distance is achieved via new DNFs I get to that point of so what is next. This seems to be inside most of us ultra runners. What is the next challenge? As if running 30 mile or 50k isn't enough, it's always, how can I go further? Not necessarily faster, but further. Unlike road running, there's no point in PB chasing in an ultra. All ultra courses are different and are rarely run in the same weather conditions with the same conditions underfoot. Now, in ultra running, it's always, can I go further or tougher? By tougher, I mean a course with harder terrain or more elevation, or ideally both. It leads me to the question that most of us ultra runners get asked by friends or family. It's also a great podcast interviewer's question. Why do you do it? Or what makes you do it? I find this the most difficult question to answer because I don't really think that deeply about it. I have a mantra when I'm in a pl- in a race and things get difficult and it's this. This is what you do. It's not particularly inspirational or motivational. It's just saying you got into this. This is what you do. Get yourself out of it. But when I think on it, I guess it defines me. It probably needs this is who you are added on to it. This is what you do. This is who you are. When asked why... I take on an ultra endurance events, I usually say something flippant like, because I can, or answer a question with a question like, why do people climb Everest? I think we undertake ultra distance runs and events for the same reason that people climb Everest or walk solo to the poles. It's there to challenge ourselves. A 30 mile ultra is an Everest to climb for most ultra runners. But once you've summited and climbed back down the other side, you will ask yourself, what next? That's the point I got to in 2018 after completing my first 100 miler. Thanks to a brilliant client location with my job, I'm a golf consultant, I found myself for a couple of weeks at a time, five times a year, at the beautiful Pirin Golf and Country Club, in the even more beautiful Pirin mountains of Bulgaria, where those beautifully brooding mountains with their spectacular ridge lines had to be run and discovered, didn't they? I started doing 8 to 12 hour solo speed treks in the Pirin Mountains on spare weekends. Rising up to just under 3,000 metres or 10,000 feet in elevation, this was the perfect next step training ground for me. I entered the Pirin Ultra, a 100 mile, 160k mountain ultra with over 10,000 metres of elevation. The route climbs to over 2,500 metres six times, which means running and climbing at altitude, another new discipline to acquire. This is a similar course and distance to the UTMB course, or Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. But as the race director of Pirin Ultra, Dimitar Dimitrov, put it to me, the aid stations are much less frequent and further apart, and the field is under 100 athletes, so you'll spend much longer alone. They were, and I did. I got 95k of it done and DNF'd after falling asleep at least 20 times while jogging and walking in the dark. I've since run two other mountain ultras, including the Madeira Island Ultra. Okay, so that's mountain ultras ticked off. I've never done a multi-day stage race, so let's tick that box next. So let's just go straight to the one that's built the toughest mountain race in the world, the Dragon's Back race. I started watching all the YouTube videos and film I could find on the race. I've watched them all including everyone who has run it and filmed three minutes on their iPhone. Oh, I haven't got on to the topic of obsessional behaviour and endurance athletes yet, have I? Now, there's a massive topic for another Aid Station episode. While watching one of these videos, up pops Helen D, now Whitaker, being interviewed having been the first woman home and fourth-placed finisher in the resurrected 2012 edition of the race which even more incredibly is 20 years on from her first victory. And Helene says something that really resonates with me. She says, what is the point of entering something that you know what the outcome is going to be? That's it. That is exactly it. That is why I got jaded about road running. Once you run a couple of marathons and maybe achieved your PB potential, why do another? I need a challenge that takes me out of my comfort zone. A challenge where there is a real chance that I won't get it done. Well, you've chosen well with the Dragon's Back race, Kev, because you're well out of your league. In November 2019, my ultra-running widow, Jill, and I take a week's holiday in the Lake District, which by an amazing coincidence coincides with the Kendall Mountain Film Festival which just happens to be featuring a film about the volunteers who make the Dragon's Back race happen. As fate would have it, I was able to come across two tickets to the film, which Jill was thrilled about for me. The film just gets me even more excited, while Jill whispers, you are not entering that. At the close of the film, Shane Oley, the race director, gives a small insight into the 2021 edition of the race casually dropping in the idea of adding in another day so that the race does in fact run the full length of Wales, finishing in Cardiff maybe. Nothing definite, but maybe he will add it in and make it six days. Well that's it, I'm in. It's just logical. Why wouldn't you run the whole length of Wales? Why would you run for five days and then stop in the middle of nowhere Wales? In August 2020, OREA events announced the event will be a six-day race from Conway Castle to Cardiff Castle, down the length and spine of Wales, taking in all the highest summits along the way. Perfect Let's give you some race stats. The race stages are made up as follows: Stage 1: 52 kilometers or 32 miles. Three thousand eight hundred meters or twelve thousand four hundred and sixty seven feet of elevation. Stage two fifty eight kilometers thirty six miles, three thousand six hundred meters or eleven thousand eight hundred and eleven feet of elevation. Stage three seventy one kilometers or forty four miles, three thousand five hundred meters. 11,482 feet of elevation. Stage four, a further 71 kilometres or 44 miles, 2,400 metres of elevation or 7,874 feet. Stage five, yet again the third stage with a 71 kilometre distance and 44 miles, 2,600 metres of elevation, 8,530 feet. And lastly, stage 6, 60 kilometres in distance, 37 miles, which is 1,500 metres, next to nothing by now, which is 4,921 feet. So that's a total of 380 kilometres, or 236 miles, with 17,400 metres, or 57,087 feet of ascent, which also means... 7,400 metres or 57,087 feet of descent, which is going to be just as tough. <laughs> On September the 1st, 2020, just over a year from the start, I'm hovering over my iPad, waiting for 9am and the opening of registration for the 2021 Dragon's Back race. It was a good job I was, as the race sold out inside 24 hours. Over 600 entrants representing 28 different nations, counting the UK as one while we're still united, There is also a waiting list. The race entry has gone from around 125 in 2012 to 600 in 2021, reflecting the interest and rise in ultra running. But it also reflects the rise in people challenging themselves to achieve more. The original race had 55 starters, who mainly ran in pairs for safety reasons. 18 pairs and 7 solo runners completed the course. A completion rate that shows the quality and ability of the field. Only seriously good runners from the endurance disciplines of mountain running, fell running and orienteering towed the start line. Not ordinary chances like me. The first modern era race in 2012 saw 84 entrants leave Conway Castle, of which 32 finished, an attrition rate of 62%. An indication of the less prepared weekend warriors giving it a go, maybe? Of course, neither of these events were sold out in a day. 640 are on the entrant list for this year's DBR. That's more than 600% rise in ultra runners who think they have what it takes to run one of the world's toughest mountain races. Remember, this is ultra runners at the extreme end of our sport, even if we are back-of-pack runners. It demonstrates the incredible growth in people wanting to test themselves to the limit, to find out where their current limit is not by pitting themselves against nature and the elements, as is often quoted with journalistic verve, but through nature and through the elements. I believe as ultra-runners we start out seeing our endeavour as a battle with distance and time, that are further defended by nature and her elements. But as we progress, we embrace the arena that we play our sport in, travelling through it more appreciatively. Our sport is played in the most attractive stadiums in the world, and it is not difficult to be drawn back to them to compete. Of course, pressing a few buttons is the easy part. Parting with a lot of cash is a little harder, but okay if you consider it a week-long camping holiday in Wales. The entry fee alone was £1,200, or around $1,600. Don't worry, it's okay. My wife never listens to these podcasts. No, the hard part of any ultra starts once you hit the enter button. 640 of us may have entered, but 640 of us won't finish. 640 won't even be at the start line. I don't want to be part of the no-shows timed out or didn't finish groups, so this means more careful planning and structured training. When I entered in September last year, I was in the final phase of high-mileage sessions before my taper for the Centurion Autumn 100, which took place on October the 10th. The build-up to this had been a mix of off-road running and cycling. Since the age of 14, I've ridden a bike on and off. Too much off at times, but I always consider myself to be a cyclist before a runner. On a freezing cold January morning in 1972, I rode 10 miles out to Burfield Common near Reading, Berkshire, where I and half a dozen other innocent teenagers were met by a man with frost in his beard. This guy had touted leaflets around Reading Secondary Schools for children to enter a trial cyclocross. His aim was to get us to join the Reading Wheelers Cycling Club and form a junior section. After we had exhausted and nearly killed ourselves riding through frozen rutted woodland and across the edge of a frozen pond four times, his plan surprisingly worked. We all joined Reading Wheelers and raced together for the next three years. I mentioned this frozen beardy in the first episode as he's my best mate. His name is David Steele. We have been very close friends for the best part of 50 years now. He was 24 at the time and I thought he was old then. You know, like you see teachers as being old when you're that age. Whenever I look back on it, I think, wow, that's an amazing thing to do at that age. I hope there are still loads of Dave Steele's out there getting kids into sport. Anyway, my point of this story is that I was using cycling as part of my training plan. Of course, not in your average way. It was very much endurance load-based training. I raced the National 24-Hour Cycling Time Trial Championships in July last year, covering 215 miles. Just like ultra running, you don't just race 200 miles. I'd done thousands of miles of training on the bike in the build-up to this, including two rides of over 200 miles, and in terms of hours, these rides were up to 15 hours at a time. The cycling training was interspersed with some off-road running that included three 25-mile wreckies of the A100 route, with someone you'll get to know at this aid station in the future, my mate Dean Calloway. Dean and I towed the start line of the A100. I was feeling in the best form I'd been in for years. I put this all down to the bulk of my endurance base mileage being done on the bike, not running. This cross-training is almost non-impactful, as long as you don't fall off, of course. Cycling is even more important when you get to your 50s and 60s. This helps to reduce injury risk and maintain consistency. However, it's useful to all ultra runners, especially to those new to ultra distances. You can also get a lot more climbing in on a bike, especially if you live in flatter areas. It's easier to get to and find hills. Hill climbing on a bike is no less than you'd get running. You can get more repeats in. You are also recruiting the same lower limb muscle groups. In basic terms, both your aerobic system and your musculoskeletal system don't know the difference between running uphill and cycling uphill. It's just adapting to the load that you are subjecting it to. Yes this is not specific to your chosen sport especially if you run mountain ultras and I'm not saying that don't do any mountain running just substitute some of the distance running with distance cycling. Of course there is no comparison between running downhill and cycling downhill. There's no specificity in training there. When comparing training loads between off-road running and road cycling you will see many recommend a three to one ratio in cycling and running differentiation. I tend to work on a 4 to 1 basis as I think the former compares road cycling with road running. So in my book 10 miles of trail running is comparable to 40 miles of road cycling. A 100 mile ride is nearer a 25 mile trail run. If you use a mountain bike on trails then the difference is nearer to 2 to 2.5 to 1 depending on the amount of vert, that's vertical climbing in ultraspeak, undertaken. So back to the A100. As I have a belt buckle from Centurion that says 100 miles completed on it, I'd set myself the target of getting the buckle that says 100 miles in a day. I thought if I could get done in under 24 hours after significant recovery, I'd been at a good place to go into my training for Dragon's Back Race. I completed in 23 hours, 40 minutes and 53 seconds and was delighted with the whole run. I had no issues with any niggles or injury and no stomach or nausea problems. I ran the first 30 miles with my ultra buddy Dean. Dean was faster and on a faster target pace than me, so I was a little concerned about my lack of discipline. I can now hear David Steele laughing at this. Okay, a fast start, pay for it later approach has been my modus operandi since the age of 14. But this time I actually felt great and did not pay for it later. Having hit my target and got the confidence boost for DBR, I then planned out my training for the months ahead before the race itself. As an endurance running coach, uh, when I'm planning training plans for people... You tend to work with mesocycles, micro-cycles, macro-cycles, training week sessions, putting blocks of training together, building training bases, building on speed and endurance, interval training, hill hill sessions, threshold sessions, long slow distance runs. All of these things put into the mix along with strength and conditioning work, flexibility work, building a program for people that will get them to the start line in the best possible condition. When it comes to me, myself, I'm really rubbish at doing this um, and tend to wing it based on what I know and don't really map things out. Now I'm not saying this is a good thing for you, um, but I tend to work on the basis that I should know what I'm doing. And to be honest, for me, as Kevin Munt, the athlete, I don't think I do myself a very good job as a coach. Anyway, I decided that one part of this plan and a major structure to it should be a B race, which is going to be the silver Great Lakeland three-day race, hopefully, if it goes ahead in May. And that will actually be my first multi-day event, which is obviously in the title a three-day event. Um, but I'd also planned out to do um, route recces of the six stages of the race or the six days of the race and split them maybe into twos. So maybe taking uh, a weekend to do uh, one of the root legs over two days. And I would plan to do this in November, January, March, April, May, and June or May, July, something like that um, to get these in. Now, of course, COVID and the restrictions, have put a stop to this, and also Wales was in lockdown back in November, so I decided to carry on with these weekend runs, but do them from home, where I couldn't get the elevation in, but get some distance back to back distance and this is where we come onto to the controversy of back to back runs uh Some people don't do, don't ever do, and I'm not saying that you should do them um but I really wanted to test and find out what it would be like to run um a 40 mile run and then back it with a 30 or the other way round. so i've done two of these sessions now uh one was in november and one you'll have heard me do part of uh, all of actually but through the interview with uh lizzie gatherer uh in january where we ran a, a 30 miler followed by a 40 miler in the first one of these i did i did also with lizzie without the interview um, I had the freakiest accident that I've ever had running. Uh, We've got about 30 miles into our 40 miler and we were actually running on road downhill. And I probably wasn't paying that much attention and it was quite windy. And there was one of these large builders dumpy bags, um, half full of rubble, but I hadn't taken any notice of it at the time. And the wind blew and these bags have large loop handles on them. Um, And the wind blew the bag over towards me and the handle came out across the path and my foot went straight through it. And before, you know, one minute I was up, next minute I was flat on my face, Um, smashed my knee into the ground and strained my ankle somewhat. Um, And it must have had an effect because... Two cars actually stopped to find out if it was okay. Lizzie didn't stop. She just kept running while I was laying on the floor. No, that's not true. Um, Lizzie was stopped. I think she was a bit shocked. But I think these people just thought, oh, my God, did you see that old man fall over? (laughs) And uh, that's what it felt like to me anyway. I must have looked like this really old guy who'd who'd run 30 miles. So I must have been a bit doddery anyway and, and smacked the pavement. Anyway, I got up and we ran on and completed the run, another 10 miles. And I always take with these things that after a little while, the initial shock, you can run them off. And in fact, I actually think you should at least get movement into them to stop them stiffening up anyway. But it's probably a little bit daft to then go out the next day and run another 30 miles off road. Um, But strangely enough, I didn't have any um, feelings of injury issue until I was 20 miles into that uh, second day. Um, And then I started to get a sharp pain at the front of my ankle, which I couldn't work out at first. It felt more like I'd been bitten by a mosquito or a tick or something, but uh, it became more sharp, a burning sensation in in the front after the uh, day's running. And the next morning I woke up and the leg was all swollen up, um, and it turned out that... um, I got a self-diagnosed by me, uh, anterior tibialis tendinosis, which is basically the tendon that runs up the front of your shin and attaches to your ankle. And I think I've uh, torn it It or certainly um, caused some issue to it. It's not a very major injury in running. You only ever normally see it in uh, more uh, contact sports like rugby or something. So that's where I'm at with that. I had three weeks off with it and then eased my way very gradually back in with walking and some uh, ankle exercising, um, stretching and joint movement for it and then went out and did the January back to back again a 70 miles over two days and on the first day I knew it was coming and I still stupidly ran on it but I don't know, there was something in me that thought, well, if you're going to do this in the Dragons back on six days, you need to find out just how bad this could get. And then on top of this, on the Sunday when we went out, it snowed, which is unusual for the south of England. And we had about four inches of snow in no time at all. And so we ran just about the whole distance in some quite deep snow, which kind of helped the situation. So the next day after that run, uh, same again, legs swollen up and I'm back to square one with it. But at least I know now how much pain I can run through, which is, I don't know, it's something weird about ultra running. Shouldn't be doing it, but um, seems to me to be part of the prep for me. So my plan now is to repeat the cycle of recovery. I'm now into day 14 after that last long run. Um, of recovery period I will then start some more movement based work on the ankle incorporate some walking slowly building the walking distance Um, but I don't intend doing anything that's going to put it under stress anymore now um, until it's ready I found last time that after about three weeks I was able to run Um, I slowly got up to about 14 miles without any issues at all So I think it's something that comes on, obviously, the uh, longer I use it and the more stress they put it under. So I need it to clear up ASAP, basically. Um, But it's very difficult to do multi-stage day ultra running (laughs) if you um, can't run or you don't do any build-up running. And I've still got to get in loads of elevation work in the mountains And climbing work, which I'm going to have to do a lot of strength uh, work at home because you can't go to the gym. Um, And so I need to get to a point where I can get through three days of back-to-back ultra running in May. And that's really where I am at the moment with it. Um, There's loads more of things that I'm going to bring into this around the uh, kit needs and the logistics and the compulsory equipment that's needed for the event and the course recce trips. Um, and then I'll talk a bit about my aims and expectations. Of course, these will adjust to how I'm going with my training and how I'm overcoming this injury. Um, and also things like preparing for weather conditions, the light types of weather that we might get out there. So thanks for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed my intro into this build up to the dragon's back race i hope it inspires you in some way to do something hopefully not necessarily on that level but to keep you ultra running keep you keen in what you're doing in these difficult times at the moment and i hope to see you out on the trails very soon To help with your ultra-running progress, get regular up-to-date news, free advice and motivation for ultra-running, subscribe to the Aid Station podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of your other favourite podcast libraries. You can also get Aid Station via www.aidstation.co.uk. Also, please see the show notes below for the episode to find the links to all the mentioned recommendations and events. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Aid Station, and if you did, please leave a review and subscribe. In another bit of news, I've set up a Facebook page for Aid Station. It's an Aid Station Ultra Running Community, um, and it'd be great to get you along there. Please just feel free, search it up on Facebook, and come along. And you can then join in with the community stuff on there, asking questions and get direct access to me if you want to to talk about anything ultra. So it'd be great to see you along there. And until then, and until the next episode of Aid Station comes along, keep running, enjoying your running, and I hope to see you out there on the trails soon. This is Kev saying bye for now.